This is the Critical Conversations podcast, a KPOV special project developed to feature unique perspectives and the courage it takes to go there, challenge mundane thought, and question the norm. Um, and now we have on the telephone with us Josie Stanfield. Uh, Josie, welcome to The Point. Hey, thank you for having me. All right. Um, so we are, uh, well, I'll just say that Josie is a... Uh, local black leader. Uh, she runs an organization called Central Oregon Diversity Project and uh, does some other things as well. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, we're here to talk mainly about, um, you know, the, we said that which does not happen here, right? The uh, the killing of uh, Barry Washington on the streets in downtown Bend a few weeks ago, um, a y- young black man who was shot to death. And we have a, um, you know, a lot, a lot has come of, come from that. A lot of, uh, yeah, it's it's just a, it's a it's a tragedy, of course, and one that um, we want to have a conversation about with uh, Josie. So thanks for being here, Josie. Um, can you start out? Uh, you you are an activist and a, and a leader here in our community. Can you just start out talking about why or how you got to be an activist? Yeah, so um, I organized my first protest in May of 2020 following the murder of George Floyd in Crook County, so Pineville, Oregon. Um, Since then, I've organized multiple protests, uh, marches, mutual aid efforts. I, of course, started Central Oregon Diversity Project, and I am actively moving white wealth to BIPOC community members. And, of course, I've uh, worked alongside other social justice groups in Central Oregon as well. All right. Um, it, I do that. I have one question that comes up from that, and then, we'll, then I want to get into our main topic. But why did you choose uh, Prineville for the uh, George Floyd protests? So I actually live in Prineville. I've lived here for about fifteen years now, and w- following the murder of George Floyd, I saw how negatively my community reacted and the nasty things they were saying about George Floyd. And so that's when I knew it was time for uh, Kirk County to have a little bit of a wake-up call. All right. Um, thank you for that. And so we um, – we this is just such a hard thing to even – right, to bring up. But we did have uh, Barry Washington, uh, a young man, uh, what, 22, 23 years old. Um, black man was killed in downtown Bend uh, outside of a nightclub. Um you know, late at night, midnight, around midnight. Um, so can you talk a, a, a little bit about just that tragic, that tragedy? Um, and then we, we can get into some other issues around it. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, like you said, uh, Washington was a young black man. I believe he had just turned 22, actually. And he was shot and murdered in downtown Bend, Oregon, um, on the evening of September 19th by Ian Cranston, who is now a known racist. The initial report that was put out by Cranston from his uh, testimony, I guess you want to call it, in the media was that Barry Washington had allegedly complimented Cranston's white partner, Ali Butler, which supposedly instigated a fight. Um, this claim comes from Ian Cranston himself. From what I understand, so as of now, this is of course completely alleged. All right, and um, 
so to get into a little bit into the legal side, uh, the local district, our, our district attorney here in Deschutes County, John Hummel, uh, has, uh, in a grand jury, of course, has, has, uh, indicted Ian Cranston on charges of murder to manslaughter in the first degree and manslaughter in the second degree and also a weapons charge. Um, so what, from your perspective, you know, as a local black leader, what does it mean to 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 the community you serve or your constituents um, that we had a black man killed in downtown Bend? Um, well, I mean, first of all, Oregon has a long history of racism and white supremacy, so I'm not surprised to see this happen in Bend. But I'm angry that the community isn't standing up as we should be. Um, I've been, of course, attending the vigils and the marches in our community for Barry since he was murdered, and I don't see really enough people from our community participating. I don't see the city council and other elected officials acknowledging this as they should be. And I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, like, how could this happen in Bend? And I believe a lot of people, mainly white people in Central Oregon, forget that Bend is just as much a part of the racism in Oregon as any other city. And that there should be a wake-up call that a race that racism is alive and thriving in Central Oregon. And if this isn't a wake-up call, then I think Central Oregon and Bend itself is further down the drain of white supremacy than we knew. So, um, can you give uh, um, a, a, some examples? And I, this may be. Just whatever you you think of, and maybe I can lead. I've I've done some work with uh, Latinx people uh, on anti anti racist work, and it's been a few years before I came to the radio station when I was really doing it much more actively and directly. And I heard about things like being followed around the grocery store, um, of course, being pulled over for no apparent reason or really really minor reasons, um, reasons that for which I would never get pulled over as a white man. Uh, so, can you talk a, a little bit about how that racism here presents? to uh to black people and people of color yeah of course um i think the racism here in central oregon can present itself a lot differently than it does in let's say like the stuff for example um i think here it's a lot more covert it's a lot more um insidious and it's it deals a lot in microaggressions which i think our community hasn't really uh studied as much as they should but it does come out in the ways of like you said being followed around the grocery store by you know, security that are thinking you're going to shoplift, um, being pulled over when you're not doing anything wrong, um, not getting the same customer service in businesses as you see white people getting. And you're in the store at the same time. I mean, that's, that's happened to me multiple times this week. Um, I've had, my children are very light-skinned, and I will have people constantly questioning me when I'm in public with my kids if they're my kids. Um, it's just, it's, and, and I mean, that, and that stems into a fear of me thinking we're going to assume I'm kidnapping my own children while I'm out and about. And so, I mean, it's every day for people who are here in Central Oregon dealing with these microaggressions and these fears that it's these racist white people in our community that don't even realize they're racist are going to call the cops on us or they're going to make these assumptions that are going to harm us. Yeah, and that was a, a question that I wanted to ask, um, because you know we may have people who who l- really don't realize that they're acting out of uh, these um, understandings, this sort of uh, overall, I would say, endemic uh, white supremacy 
that exists uh, in our society that is really in some ways separate and apart from people's own like feelings or, or animus. I mean, no, there are plenty of people out there who are what I would like. You, you mentioned covert and like, who are overt racist. Um, and so how do we I don't know if this is where you, where you want to go with this. So please tell me if if I'm getting going to different. But how do we how is it possible to get the information to white people that these that this these actions they're taking, like assuming that you're not the mother of your children. Um, how do we get people to understand uh, this aspect of white supremacy and racism? Oh, gosh, that's a question. I think, first of all, people just need to learn to mind their own business, of course. Um, second of all, I think people need to do the work to educate themselves. I mean, I, as a black person, I've, of course, grown up with these aggressions, so I understand what they look like and how they present themselves. And I think many times when black people or people of color in general speak out about them, um, we're ignored. And we're brushed under the rug and our experiences aren't taken as they should. And so nobody learns. And so I think researching examples of microaggressions, researching examples of white supremacy, um, researching, you know, am I a racist? I mean, these are things that you can go and Google for free and there's so much research available out there and it's, will shock, I think, a lot of white people in our community when they see that reflection of themselves in a lot of the things that they do. I mean, personally, I can say that I know a lot of white people in our community that just expect people of color to do the work. I have people in my inbox constantly bombarding me with tasks and requests and, you know, um, requests for me to, to express to them my pain and the experience I've gone through and this is constant and I don't think they realize that that in itself is a form of harm against people of color I mean if you're a white person you're constantly putting more labor on people of color you need to uh, take a look in the mirror because that's a form of white supremacy in itself uh yeah thank you thank you very much for that in particular I that's something that I've uh, I've seen and been aware of and heard and you know and, and it's uh it is an unfair burden uh, to put on uh, put on you and and your uh, your community, uh, people of color, black people. Um, and so, you know, one of the things again, some things just pop into my head, Josie. There there are a couple of of tests you can take online. I think there's one from Harvard. There there are these implicit bias tests. Um, there, so Google those uh, folks. Um, and it's it's it can be really powerful. I mean, be ready to be surprised. Uh, but it it it's it's called implicit for a reason. It may be biases that you're not aware of. So the the issue is not to feel like a horrible person if you if you are if the test reveals some implicit bias in your part, which most likely they will. They certainly did for me. Um, but it's it's a learning tool. It's like oh. Now I see, now I gotta go work on this. And there's, as, as Josie says, there's lots of resources, there's lots of great books, uh, just a huge list. Maybe I should make a list. Um, so anyway, uh, let's get back to, thank you so much for, for, uh, going down that road with us. Um, so let's get back to, uh, the Barry Washington tragedy. Um, do you believe, um, 
that this uh, should ultimately be charged as a hate crime, um, and why? Yes, um, of course. I do believe a hundred, a thousand percent that this was a hate crime. Um, aside from the racial slurs that have been found on Ian Cranston's social media and the racial slurs that were used the evening that Barry was murdered, um, you have to pose the question of would Ian Cranston have shot and killed a white man in that same situation? And that's been a question in a lot of the BIPOC leaders' heads, including my own. And I believe the answer is no, that he would not have murdered a white man in the same situation. Because I believe that Ian Cranston, like most white men in this country and in this society, have been conditioned to fear black men and see them as less than human. So I believe that if there was an altercation that evening, that Ian Cranston fell into the comfort of his racism and felt tied to take Barry Washington's life because he had very little fear of repercussions. It, 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 you know, and that aspect of it, you know, reminded me of, you know, Michael Brown from uh, 2014, where the six foot four inch police officer uh, said that he was terrified of um, Michael Brown and it said he, he became like a demon. And I just really have that, that expression, is, you know, is with me is of, as you mentioned, that not just the dehumanizing, but the dehumanizing in the direction of these sort of super, uh, I don't know what, these like violent men who have this like some kind of bizarre superpowers. Um, and, um, I don't know if that's what was going on with Ian Cranston, but I know it's something that, that is in the white consciousness, um, unfortunately. Uh, so. Yeah, I do. I believe there was an element of that happening. I believe he felt entitled as a white man to kill him. And I do believe that he's a racist from, you know, what we have seen. And so I believe that it's pretty clear to me that it was a hate crime. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, and I know the district attorney is investigating that aspect of it. Um, and, you know, I just have had some experience with uh, with a hate crime in the past. And unfortunately, it's pretty difficult uh, to get law enforcement to, to see things that way. So uh, I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, it's it's unfortunate. It seems to be really hard to charge a hate crime uh, for some reason. Um, and so um, are you willing to talk a little bit, uh, Josie, about how how this how this has affected your life, how the shooting of Barry Washington has affected your life uh, in Bend? Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, my life has not been nearly as impacted as his family's life. So I just want to make that very clear right off the bat. Like my, what I've experienced from this, can't even imagine what they're going through personally, losing their son and their brother and just, just, I can't imagine. Um, But I do live in Prineville, which is about 30 miles outside of Bend. But I spend most of my time in Bend for activism and my business, and I visit friends there pretty often. And I would say it would be putting it pretty lightly to say that there is a dark cloud hanging over Bend right now. Um, almost immediately, I think I, I feel like personally I saw a lot of people just go back to their regular everyday lives. Uh, I saw people walking past the corner where Barry was murdered. I saw them walking past his memorial and not even glancing in it. Um, the businesses around his memorial are still open and active. Um, his memorial has been vandalized. The BIPOC community 
watching this happen. And now we're pushing for a more permanent memorial, which shouldn't have been a discussion without a push from activist groups in the first place. Um, I can say we'll never move to Bend. Um, I've always been interested in it, but I just can't do it now. It's always been a hot ground for white supremacy and seeing how the community has failed Barry just cements that. Um, I haven't been in downtown, out in downtown Bend since he was murdered aside from his memorial, because it just doesn't feel right. Mm. Even driving through downtown Bend, I just feel angry and sad. Like, it feels truly like you're driving through a graveyard now. Like, it's just heartbreaking. Um, I mean, as a black woman, I've never felt safe out alone in Central Oregon at all, but now I definitely feel safe. I don't have in the community to protect me if something were to happen, and I don't understand how anybody could possibly be enjoying themselves in downtown Bend without the constant thought of Barry in their mind. Mm. Since I watched the video that was released by the media of his murder, I have like just been broken and trying to make sense of it all. All right. Uh, uh, Josie, I'm really sorry that, that you and your, your friends and uh, are feeling that kind of pain just in your everyday lives. Um, and I do want to uh, actually, uh, Josie, thank you for, bringing up uh, Barry Washington's family, I realized I just kind of ran right through into the interview, you know, without expressing, uh, yeah, expressing the sympathy and um, condolences, which sounds like a kind of a weak word to use, but but really uh, sympathy and empathy for that, his family, they have to just be suffering unimaginably right now. So, uh, Josie, you did a TikTok video Um and there may be people that don't know what TikTok is, but it's uh, and maybe I can get you, you'll explain it better than me, I'm sure, because I'm not on TikTok. Uh, but it's uh, it's basically a video posting uh, site that uh, can range from all. It's just broad, super broad range of things that people post on TikTok. I actually saw this because I'm a grandpa, right, on Facebook, <laughs> which uh, apparently is the social media of choice for old people, um, and um, but it, it it it's a powerful video for one thing, but the other thing is it. It really, like, I guess it just, so to speak, to touch the nerve because it went incredibly viral. So can you talk a little bit about, like, why did you make that video? What were what were the things that moved you in making it? Because it's, again, it's it's poignant and, and, and strong, and uh, you're not shrinking back from some pretty direct and, uh, statements. Yeah. Um, immediately after I watched the video of Barry Washington's murder in the media, I took to my TikTok and asked my platform to spread awareness about his case and express that this is a, that this incident brought Till to my mind. And I think that's really what struck a nerve in the video with a lot of people was that comparison. Uh, that TikTok did end up reaching millions of people and resulted in hundreds, probably thousands of calls and emails from around the world to the local DA's office. Um, there were a lot of influential black celebrities and politicians and activists that Hugely benefited and boosted to the TikTok. Um, Megan Good, Neil Hughley, Lee Merritt, who's a civil rights attorney, Sean King, and other people that are really influential, powerful black people in our country that helped boost that video. And I'm so thankful to them. And can you talk about, I mean, I'm assuming most people know, but I, I suppose you also sort of never really know for sure. Um, who... Uh, talking about Emmett Till, who was Emmett Till? Uh, why is the situation with Emmett Till relevant to uh, what we're talking about here with Barry Washington? Yeah, so Emmett Till uh, was a young black boy that was brutally, and I mean brutally, 
murdered by racists um, after being falsely accused of whistling at a white woman. Um, I won't go too into the specifics of the case because it is traumatic. So mm-hmm. if you haven't heard of the Emmett Till case, I would urge you to research it. Um, the white men who brutally murdered him were never prosecuted, and neither was the white woman who falsely accused him, accused him of whistling at her. I drew the comparison between his case and Barry Washington's case, not because of the specific details of the crime, mm-hmm. but because of the entitlement that the murderers felt that they had to take a young black person's life for allegedly complimenting a white woman. Um, in my opinion, this was another public lynching. This was a white man playing judge, jury, and executioner for a crime that his white supremacist mind fabricated. And that's why I drew that comparison. Um, there's been a lot of backlash to my video as well from people saying, you know, like, how dare you compare this to Emmett Till? Emmett Till was a child. What happened to Emmett Till didn't happen to Barry. And I think they're um, ignoring that. I'm not saying the specifics of the crime are the same. I'm saying it's another white man who felt entitled to a young black person's life for allegedly complimenting a white woman. And this is something that is ingrained in our society, and it's something that still happens. Um, Of course, what happened to Emmett was brutal, and what happened to Barry was also brutal. And I need people to see the similarities and the entitlement that the white man felt to take the life of a young black person because our society keeps failing to recognize that these are hate crimes because we fail to recognize this pattern. Right. Thank you very much for, for that explanation. And that uh, the way I've thought about it, for you know, we actually came up with it. We were talking about it around here, and, and Emmett Till came up pretty quickly in our conversation. It's just the the sort of the haunting similarity, uh, it just sort of an overall similarity. You're right. Not everything is the same. Uh, but it, it really does remind, and it, you know, what was Emmett Till? It was 60 years ago. Um, and, and the thought of, we think we're making a lot of progress and maybe you know, we're obviously not making nearly as, or at least white people, we're not making nearly as much progress as white people tend to think we are. Um, which is, which is, uh, well, it's just sad and tragic. Um, and so Josie, I, um, do you, is there anything else that, that you want to add and feel free? We've got time. I just wanted to get, get bring this up to see. Where, um, I, I guess I have, is it okay if I reverse course a little bit and ask a specific question? Something you brought up at the very beginning about the history of racism in Oregon. Um, it's significant. I'm not sure how many, uh, especially white people are really aware of it. Um, is it possible for you to give a little bit of a thumbnail? And if that's not comfortable, some places we can go to find the info. I mean, I know a couple, but, uh, people can go to find some more information on this. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, one of my favorite lines lately is Google is a free resource. I mean, yeah, if you go to yeah. Google and you type, like if you go to Google and you type in racist history of Oregon, you will fall down the rabbit hole of the racism of Oregon. I mean, it was literally written into our constitution, into our state's constitution that black people were not allowed in the state. Um, and that wasn't removed until, you know, like the night, like the later 1900s. So I mean, this yeah. is, not this is this is very 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 deeply written into our specifically i mean of course america as a as a whole is but Oregon itself 
has a disgusting, hidden, racist past that it does not want to be uncovered. And if you walk around claiming that you are a native Oregonian, that makes me cringe. If you call yourself a native Oregonian, then I promise you, you were raised in one of the most racist and white supremacist states in America. And I promise you did not escape the effects of that. So you need to research. You need to grow yourself. You need to bust down or break down these white supremacist structures that have been built up inside of yourself. And if you don't do that, black people are going to keep dying. And this is not the last time we're going to see this tragedy in bed. Bed needs to wake up because it's not a safe haven. It's not this little place where you go to put, you know, crystals on your forehead, do yoga, and go eat a salmon bagel for lunch. That's not Bend. Bend is a white supremacist haven, and they don't realize that. Y'all need to wake up. <laughs> well, no, and the Thanks for uh, coming to my TED talk. <laughs> well, okay, and 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 it's it's really something that uh it, it's it, it's true what you're saying and that and that's the thing and that's the thing that that's um that that's really really sad and devastating is the extent to which bend and central oregon um do have this this strong presence of white supremacy and racism it's it's hidden pretty reasonably well at least to white people um and um you know, it's something that I was actually made aware of years and years ago. And I do want to throw out a resource. Google, if you can remember this, but if not, uh, I'm, I'm not sure of what a, what a memory trick is for this, but there's a fantastic talk by an OSU and, uh, Portland State professor. Her name is Walida Imarisha. Uh, she is beyond brilliant, um, and eloquent and, and able to break down really complex topics into things that, into things that are understandable. She has a she has a, a a talk called "Why Are There So Few Black People in Oregon?" Is there anything else? We've got a couple more minutes. Is there anything else that uh, you'd like to add? And I also just want to really thank you for for taking this much time. And I know this is this can't have been easy for you to talk about. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, you're welcome, and I appreciate you giving us this platform to talk about this and spread awareness. Um, I just want to close it out by saying, you know, that I'm urging everyone to share and donate to his family's GoFundMe so they can pursue justice for Barry with the strongest legal team possible. If you go, of course, to Google and you search Barry Washington GoFundMe, it'll pop right up. Um, please share it. Please donate. Do whatever you can. Um, Ian Cranston's legal counsel made it pretty clear that he plans to enter a not guilty plea on December 6th at 1.30 p.m. I don't believe that date has changed, but um, if it's the same, it's going to be at the Deschutes County Courthouse. Um, if you see any rumors being spread online about Barry or about the family, please urge people to wait until more evidence has been presented because the family's been through enough. Um, there's a lot of rumors that are being spread, and a lot of them have come directly from Ian Cranston and Allie Butler. So it's outrageous that people are giving any truth or weight to their claims. So, yeah, in the end, be patient, donate, and stop believing that Bend, Oregon is a safe place for black people. Um, Barry's Corner... And Barry's Memorial is at 1000 Northwest Wall Street. I'm urging everyone to fill it with flowers, candles, and art. And tell your elected officials to stand up. Um, I'm pretty sure all the city council has really done so far from what I've seen is make a really, really crappy post with an inch of flowers. And they, they need to do more. Justice for Barry Washington, and he deserves so much more than that. All right, uh, Josie Stanfield, uh, local 
black leader and activist. Uh, she runs the Central Oregon Diversity Project and, and is involved in a lot of other things. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Josie. You've been listening to a KPOV Critical Conversation. To hear more engaging interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical conversations.